This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. I've heard the James Beard Awards described as the Academy Awards of the culinary world. And that's because it is. Every year, the James Beard Foundation recognizes restaurants and chefs across the country for putting out good food, having a good story, and doing good work in their communities. To be nominated is a big deal. And to win a medal is a very, very special recognition for your skills as a chef or restaurateur. In just the last couple of years, the only Native mention in the James Beard Foundation and at the awards was Sean Sherman, who is still on fire, by the way. But this year saw more Native nominations than ever before. And this year, I had the privilege of attending the award ceremony in Chicago with my very good, good friend, Chef Yusuf Benrilla. I saw Wampanoag chef Sherry Pocknett make history as the first Native American female James Beard Award winner. She was named Best Chef of the Northeast for her restaurant, Sly Fox Den. Here's that award-winning moment caught on my phone. Sherry Pocknett, Sly Fox Den 2. You know, I was surprised at the rush of tears involuntarily streaming down my face at that moment. We all cried, really. As I met up with other Native chefs and foodies that night, like Chef Crystal Wapipa, the Piochi Food Group crew, Sean Sherman, Blue Adams, and Dana Thompson, we talked about how happy we were for Sherry and just how happy we were to be such a big group of natives in a space that had never really seen this many natives before. In this episode, I catch up with James Beard award-winning chef Sherry Potnick in her Chicago hotel after the awards. Photos from this culinary trip are on Toasted Sister social media, the podcast website, and in the recent newsletter. If you're not already subscribed to the Toasted Sister newsletter, kindly sign up on the website ToastedSisterPodcast.com. I won't bombard your email. It's more like checking in every once in a full moon. In the newsletter, I share news, of course, upcoming events, some recipes, and cool little bits about indigenous food. Now, here's the episode. First of all, congratulations Thank on you. your win last night. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm ecstatic. I'm still numb. Right. Really thought I was in a dream. <laughs> uh, honestly, I thought I was in a dream. It was so surreal. Yeah. It was just, I was, a nomin I was nominated, but I didn't, really didn't think I was going to win. Yeah. Because everybody that I went against, they were all so good. <laughs> they were. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, last night we were we were watching the the awards, of course. Uh, I was like fiddling with my phone trying to, you know, um, record. And I think I did get it. I got where they um, said all the nominees and, and then and then the winner is. And I was like concentrating on my phone and then I heard your name and it just like popped out of me. I just like screamed uh, for you. And you. I just love that. You. And you know, you, you decided to um, tell folks that you have cancer and you, you're, you're finishing or you finished uh, chemo and everything. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I mean, I've been, I've been posting my journey, you know, and letting people know what I'm going through and that I'm just fighting. I'm fighting for my life. Mm -hmm. I'm fighting to finish mm -hmm. what I started with, with, with my food journey. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to pe pe to, for people to know, especially people with cancer, that, that you can still do stuff. And you just have to just keep going, let people know because people pray for you and those prayers are strong. Mm -hmm. And I'm a strong believer in prayer. And all the prayers that I, I, I wouldn't have made it through without all these prayers and the support. My support system is unbelievable. I have my whole tribe behind me. All tribal members don't get along, but when it comes down to something like this, yeah, we, we pull it together. <laughs> we pull it together. Let's go back a little bit. Just uh, before we came up to this room here, you mentioned uh, you're not uh, formally trained uh, as a chef, but you've been in the industry for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, I really have. Yeah, to tell me. circuit. Yeah, is that circuit. how you got started? So when I was about eight years old, I think I got a Susie homemaker for Christmas. Mm. Well, my my dad was a hunter and fisherman. Of course, we live on the East Coast, so the refrigerator was full of whatever, whether it be eels, scallops, quahogs, deer meat, rabbit, muskrat. Any of those things could be in that my mother's refrigerator. Yeah. And I would go and steal whatever it was and put it in my little, not an Easy Bake Oven, Susie Homemaker it was called, yeah. and cook it for my brothers. My three brothers tore it up. I knew then. I was a chef. Yeah. <laughs> I knew then that I wanted to cook because every Sunday my mother would always make big beautiful dinners and I would be right there watching her beside her helping her make biscuits or helping her make cornbread or peeling potatoes. She taught us at an early age mm -hmm. you know about responsibility and about taking care of your families and you know stuff like that so I learned so much from her and my grandmother, who I mentioned as well. It was my grandmother's birthday yesterday. But going back again, um, after, after you know, cooking out of that Easy Bake Oven, then say I'm 12, 13 years old, me and my cousin um, wanted to have a powwow stand, a food stand at a powwow, so we would go and dig up sassafras tea and the, the roots and boil the roots and make tea at home mm -hmm. and um, bring the table and the chairs and literally make, make a stand out of wood. Mm -hmm. Stole everything from my parents, frying pans, everything. So we made sassafras tea and fry bread. We stole jelly, we stole everything. We just took it out of the reef and made money. <laughs> and made money and, you know, doing those. Powwows like that, you know, we 
spent the money as soon as we made it at that age, you know. Mm -hmm. And back then in the 60s, we were charging probably 50 cents for a, a thing of sassafras and probably 50 cents for a piece of fry bread. And it was different kind of fry bread back then. It was, uh, well, for us, it was just like the hockey puck type. Okay. You, you don't, you know, not the dough that you stretch, not the Navajo. The big, giant Navajo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lady named Eleanor McKay, I don't know if you know her. Um, she's a Navajo woman from Flagstaff. She taught me how to make it. And, um, but I didn't learn how to make that until my later years. Mm -hmm. But I had a powwow. I had powwow every summer, probably till I was about 18. And we, me and my cousin, we did it almost every summer. And um, loved doing it, yeah. just to make the money yeah. <laughs> as and we then, got older. Yeah, and, and that, that turned into like you. Um, the love for food I have, the yeah. love for food, what I can do with food is like not your average. It really is, it's not your average, it's just, I just create, I can just create stuff like out of nowhere, like I can take a duck and we make duck hash, you know, to peel the skin off and make it nice and crispy and add some I mean, just simple stuff because simple is best. I don't need a lot of sauces and different herbs and berries and different things. I cook very simple. Mm -hmm. I cook very traditional of my tribe and I cook um, so that it's so appealing to you. You know, people eat with their eyes like everybody says. And how did uh, all of this lead up to Sly Fox Den? Well, so Sly Fox it was my father's tribal name. He was a chief of our tribe. He's the one that taught us everything, how to forage for, for shellfish, how to fish. One time he took me fishing. I was probably about eight. So he took us out. We went fishing for a striped bass. And he had all, six kids, mm -hmm. had all of us on something called a jetty. I don't know if you know what a jetty sticks out of the water. It's rocks that you stand on. Okay. So he loaded up my fishing pole with, you know, bait and casted it and had me standing there holding the pole. And I finally got my first fish when I was about eight years. And the fish was probably about this big. Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, the fish just about dragged me in the water because the fish is strong, and I ended up letting the fishing pole go. <laughs> so my father never took me fishing again for stripers, but you know, shellfishing and all that, but taught us so, all of us, yeah. at little kids. He used to drop us off on Washburn Island. It's, a, it's an island in Mashpee, um, in my town. Leave us there all day, and we would be clamming, and picking blueberries, and digging sassafras, and it was so much there. It was so much there that um, we, I didn't realize <clears throat> how important these things are, those things were to learn, because it was just, just about survival, I think. It was just about learning your life ways. I don't like to say culture, but learning your life ways and, and how to survive if your parents are not there, how to feed yourself, which is really important. What's good in the woods? and what's not good in the woods. That's what they taught us. Blueberry picking with my mom, with all of the kids, with buckets. She had buckets with strings around um, our necks. Picking, picking, picking. She would freeze all those 
blueberries. She was an amazing pastry cook. She's still doing it, and she's 85. You know, those old timers, they, they don't lose it. They don't, I don't care how old they get, they don't lose it. And my, gram, my grandma, I had to go there a lot, like on weekends. I went there a lot, and so she taught me so much. And she was an amazing chef. The good part about that, after you finish with your chores, she cooked for you. Whatever she cooked turned into gold. And I just remember her hands, the way her hands look. A lot of people say I look like her. But she was, she was amazing. But I mean, we had to hang out clothes in the winter on the, on the line, bring them in when they're stiff like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but we would be fishing. We would go fishing and get fish, and she would show me how to clean them and take the caviar, the roe, mm -hmm. the roe out of the fish and how to jar it and what to do with the guts, the, the guts, the head and the tail. We would throw it in her garden for fertilizer and then take the heron backs and we would pickle them. So I was learning that at a very early age. And of course I was rolling her hair and, you know, scrubbing tubs and doing all of this stuff that, that made me who I am. And she had 15 kids and all of her kids had probably six or more kids. So we had a giant family, and we all got together at Christmas yeah. and had dinner. And all of us kids and cousins would go out, you know, your cousins were like your brother or sister, you know, so. But, you know, getting older, I moved to Connecticut, and I, I just worked, you know, wherever I could make money, and I always loved to cook, cooked a lot at home. I never cooked at a, nobody else's restaurant. Which is funny. I didn't even cook at my uncle's restaurant. I, I grew up in the restaurant. I did dishes. I did, well, that was my first dishwashing job. I did dishes there. I did, um, and um, I waitressed. But don't get it twisted. I knew everything. I was watching everything that they were doing in that kitchen and learning and always listening. I already knew how to fillet fish, you know, from my dad. You know, a lot of those techniques I got from my gram, because my gram and my uncle ran that restaurant, yeah. Before the restaurant, you've been, um, were you the chef at a museum? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I remember that, okay. Yes, so I, th I was probably like 28 and just started catering, just, you know, and then exploring my ability to create. And I, even when I was little, I, I, I tried to cook, you know, without recipes and stuff like that, like cookies and stuff like that. But um, then I moved, moved out of town, came home, trying to find my place, you know what I mean? So, uh, and then getting older, my friend um, was the director of Pequot Museum, and he wanted me to just come and just help them out a little bit because they didn't have, you know, great food. At, they had more like cafeteria food there at the museum. And I put frog legs in there. I put turtle soup in there. I put smoked salmon, three sisters rice. Now, three sisters rice is something that I made up myself. Just corn, squash, and beans mixed with wild rice, a blend of rices. And um, vegans just go crazy over it because it's filling and, and um, it's delicious. And then to put it with like a piece of smoked salmon and butternut squash, 
That's like the hit at every powwow. That's what most people want from my stand or deer meat. You know, they just really love traditional food. And, um, and then I got married and I got a divorce and, and then um, really on the food circuit with my, with my powwow stands. And that's really kind of how I got known from the, from the powwows. I mean, my lines would be two hours long and people would wait. And then when I got to the museum, a lot of people had already known me. So we put all these different things in the museum and people started coming and just, uh, you know, loving the food. And I used to love to teach. I taught classes at the museum. We did like a stuffed fish, a stuffed striped bass. We taught how to open oysters and shellfish and roasted rabbits and, you know, all that different food. You know, that lasted for about five years. I wanted to go out, branch out on my own because I was doing a lot of catering outside. You know, even when I was working 40, 50 hours a week, I decided to leave and started looking for a place. I'm right in the middle of the Mohegan tribe. It was an old biker bar. I had drove there in the summer of 2018, and I said to myself, if that place ever was for sale, I would buy it. It went for sale the next week. It took me all the way to February 1st, 2019 to sign the papers. I got it. Nice. I couldn't believe it. Three and a half acres in a big ass restaurant and beautiful on, on the bay, on Pocatonic Bay in Preston, Connecticut. And my God, is it beautiful. It's brick, it's old school, it's sturdy, it's strong, it has such character. And on one side, there's a river that heron, alewives, they're fish. They come down in the springtime from Nova Scotia. And they swim up they, to spawn in, in the rivers, in the, in the lakes. And then they swim back in October. But it has black maple trees, maple walnut trees. It has a bay that has all kinds of fish. Um, hoping to put a oyster farm there. And then on the side, it has a nice big parking lot in, uh, in the back. And then across the street, it has another parking lot, about an acre. And then there's land behind that parking lot where I can have a garden farm to table. I have all these plants. <laughs> so we, we purchased February 1st. We signed the papers, 2019, me and my daughter and worked hard to try to get it up and rolling, but it needed a lot of work. Sweat equity. Mm -hmm. And um, we got a lot of stuff done, but still needs, a, still needs more work. Then the pan 2020 comes, pandemic. Wipes everybody out, no more catering. Catering was done. So I was at ceremony at the Narragansett tribe. This was October of 2020. I ran to the gas station, and this is in Charlestown. I drove past the restaurant, my restaurant now, Sly Fox Den 2, T-O-O, -O, meaning also, mm -hmm. and thought, of course, we ran out of money because there's no catering jobs coming. I had so many catering jobs lined up. Mm -hmm. I said, nobody's, nobody's not trying to open no restaurant. I'm, are they, they, they'll think that I'm crazy, you know, during the pandemic, to open a restaurant. 
So I did. I, I called them. Of course, they jumped on it. It was a decent, a decent lease, $1,500 a month. I got it. It needed a lot of work, too. Mm -hmm. And the landlord wasn't, you know, they did all the structural stuff. But I needed refrigerators and stoves. So that's money. I found them. I don't know how I did, the, did this, but I did it. I found them, and, but we didn't get open until June of 2021. That was our first summer. And now this is our third summer. It took right off. Have you ever had fish hash? Mm -mm. I bet. <laughs> I bet. So it would be whatever fish I have, it would be striper hash, bluefish hash, or smoked salmon. We smoked salmon. We have a local fisherman that brings us whatever. It could be monkfish. It could be any, lots of fish. Mm -hmm. Lots of fish. Yeah, that's lots all I see on their social yeah. Social media pages. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I got to post something else. But we do like, like deer meat and rabbit and mm. duck and all that stuff. Duck hash with crispy skin and poached eggs. And it's amazing and it's simple. Mm -hmm. The simplest stuff is the best stuff, I think. Right. You know, this James Beard Award, I mean, when I got nominated, a lot of people come to the restaurant. It's, it's been popping. Yeah. It's been popping, and I'm grateful. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful. I'll tell you. It's um, hard. So I contacted cancer last year, and boy, I didn't want to do anything about it. Yeah. My kids forced me, of course, mm. into chemotherapy. And chemotherapy, I'll tell you, that takes a toll on someone's mind. It could take a toll on your spirituality if you let it. Mm. it I, I, I fought it tooth to nail. Tooth to nail. I'm still fighting it because I, my feet hurt. My hands hurt. I can't walk as much as I used to. My energy level. So I have to, I have, to have physical therapy to try to gain some of that back. I'm having something called immunotherapy. Um, that helps your immune system. It's, it's like chemotherapy. You go in and you get infused and you lay in the bed and they put all this crap into you. I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. Not anyone because it's, it, it's a tough, tough road. I'm almost through it. I still got all those symptoms. Dry skin, yeah. no hair. My hair's growing, though, look. My hair is growing. Yeah. <laughs> it just started growing in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I remember and, um, when you when you um, shaved it. Put, yeah, posted yeah. a picture and it was all shaved and yeah, it's already it's from already there. Down to here, <laughs> from here to there. Yeah. But um, it was it's it's been a it's been a tough road and I plan to get through it so I can get this restaurant open. But you know, money money's everything. Unfortunately, money stops the show. To be supported in in your endeavor. Mm -hmm. is amazing. <laughs> it is. I mean, just the support that I get from my own tribe and, and, and my own friends and social media. I post one thing and everybody's on it. It's, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So uh, during the awards, you uh, wore your regalia. Can you just talk a little bit about why, uh, why and then um, if there's a piece that you wore that's uh, really special to you? All of it. A woman named Mother Bear. 
the woman in our tribe that makes the best regalias. And she said she was honored to make my regalia. She felt like Vera Wang. <laughs> but it's, that's what she said. Yeah. That is what she said. <laughs> and um, it was funny because I never really wore a regalia, you know, as an adult, just because I was always cooking. Mm -hmm. I was always behind the scenes. You know, I never, I never really powwowed out in the circle. My kids, my grandchildren, but I was always behind the stove cooking, doing what I love. But my regalia, um, she made it for me, and I almost didn't wear it because it was, I didn't have my headpiece. My friend's making me a crown, and um, I was a princess, Princess Sunflower. Mm -hmm. Sunflower is my Nepal's Upashaw is my tribal name. And when they said black tie, my regalia is the highest of the high that you can wear. If you, you notice that I left and changed my regalia to my street clothes because I don't associate it with alcohol because, you know, those, those spirits are how the, we lost the country, some, some of it, mm -hmm. some of the story, you know what I mean? It just wasn't good for us. It, it's a very sacred material to to wear, and a deer sacrificed itself for that material. So we give thanks, we smudge before we put it on. You know, it is, it is, it's, a, it's our life way just to be, be thankful for everything that we have. So I was thankful, and I didn't know if I was going to get in trouble for wearing it, honestly. Yeah. I said, this is a black tie event. This is <laughs> fancy, fancy. Yeah. But that's my black tie. That's my that's my black tie. I think we would have all like raised a raised a fuss if they were like, no, you can't come in because you're wearing, you know. <laughs> yeah. It would have been like probably all over the news. As soon as I knew that I was a nominee, I knew it, that I was wearing that. Mm, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've been in the industry for a while, uh, but it seems like, you know, everybody's popping up out of the woodwork kind of at the same time. I mean, that's why they call it the native food movement. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, wonderful. It People are realizing that we're the original. We got, we, we're the indigenous people of this land that showed people how to survive right. here. And for us to go back to our life ways of eating non-colonial. We didn't have no chicken, no pork, and no beef. I mean, I have it at my restaurant now, but I got to have a variety so everybody will come. And all that food is so bad for us. <laughs> you know, what they inject the chickens with, what they inject all this food with so it can grow faster, mm -hmm. hormones and all that kind of stuff. You never heard of a deer being injected with anything right. or a rabbit you know, or fish. They can't inject fish. Well, the, the um, farmed salmon. So where do you see, you know, this whole movement going? Or what do you want to see in the future from all the other, you know, native chefs? And I want to I see, I want to I I see more people come out mm -hmm. because our food is the best food because it's straight from here, it's indigenous. You know what I mean? And every, every uh, tribe has different styles and different things 
to eat. You know, I am in love with Washapi. Washapi. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I had that the first time last year. Yeah. And it's amazing. It's, it is. oh, my God. The jelly? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I had cedar jelly for the first time uh, a couple years ago, and that was just like eye-opening. Like yeah. I got a got a new like um, flavor profile that I'm craving now. <laughs> See, so you take you take this big water here, the uh, Lake Michigan. I was going to get it on the menu the other night, and they didn't they didn't have it. And I never had it. Um, the fish. Oh God, I forgot the name of it. It'll come to me. Yeah. Well. Not, but there's different fish out here. Sturgeon, they eat in in this lake here. Mm -hmm. You know, um, milkweed, milkweed soup. You ever made that? Mm -mm. You ever heard of it? I mean, Ho chunks. I heard butterflies eat milkweed. <laughs> but they are, they're the monarch butterflies. You've got to have milkweed in order for them to survive. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know we we ate them too. We we ate yeah <laughs> yeah. So w when was the first time you heard the term farm to table and what did you think of it? Farm to table, I mean that's how we grew up. Yeah. We had, literally had a potato farm. <laughs> yeah. I hated it because we had to sort, I forgot to tell you about that, we had to sort the sizes of pota potatoes. Yeah. My father had a mound of potatoes like a tractor, just put a pile up like a, you would play on a dirt hill, it was potato hill. And we had, and us kids had to separate all the different sizes. And then, but they would last us until the springtime, because there were six of us. So we we ate potatoes almost every night. Sometimes, sometimes there was nothing except for potatoes. Yeah. She made potato soup. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I think I'm gonna call this episode not your average, but something oh. awesome you said during this interview here. Um, but. What would be your advice to uh, other indigenous chefs out there? Oh, don't give up. Mm -hmm. Just do your life ways. Ask your grandparents what they ate when they were young. I mean, unfortunately, you know, we got <clears throat> out west, they got moved around a lot, and they, and they took their food away and their, their hunting grounds and all that stuff that's how that damn fried bread came up, came right but before that they they hunted deer there was cactuses there was all kinds of herbs and rice and all that good stuff all all that all that good food you got to you got to do that and and then don't be afraid to infuse something with it or to, or make your own recipe mm -hmm. i love making my own recipes and that's where the uh, three sisters rice came from I just created my own recipe, and now it's a big old hit. But just don't don't give up, and just showcase what you grew up on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Showcase that, and ask your parents, ask your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, your tribal members, your tribal chief. Ask him what he ate when he was young. We're we're going for it. We ain't going nowhere. We've been here for over twelve thousand years. 14,000 years, and we're not going nowhere, and it's our time. It's our time. That's all I have to say.
That was Wampanoag chef Sherry Potnick. If you like hearing food stories from Native America and you'd like to support the work I do here, consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Your support helps with equipment and getting out on the road for these special episodes like this one. You can also support this show by rating it on iTunes and leaving a nice review and sharing it with your friends and neighbors. I'm Andy Murphy, overlord of the Toasted Sister podcast. Until next time, guys. (music) 